Hey, how's everybody tonight? <clears throat> Ready for Jeremiah? <laughs> Ready or not, here we come. All right, so we're going to start uh, another section. Um, that I want to kind of lay some groundwork for it. So Jeremiah is a group of prophecies that Jeremiah gave, um, probably kept by his secretary. We're going we're gonna to meet him uh, a little later in Jeremiah. And put together in a in a, in a vision that uh, the, to kind of describe to us not necessarily chronologically what's going on. We're about to jump forward in time tonight. Not necessarily chronological, but to look at the situation as they flow together. Here's God's faithful prophet delivering message. He wants to understand, Lord, why won't the people? listen to the words that I've given. And we saw the three chapters the last three weeks dealing with the parables of the potter and the relationship to a people who are rejecting the word of God and their treatment then in that rejection of the word of God to God's prophet. What happens to God's prophet during that time? Now chapters 21, 22, 23, we're going to basically look not in order, but we're going to look at the last four kings of Judah. So if you remember when we started Jeremiah, we started Jeremiah talking about Josiah. Josiah was like the last great revival before God's judgment came. Uh, I think a lot of times if we just look at the parallels between, you know, the times of Jeremiah and the fall of Judah and the times of the United States, I think we all pray and hope that we're entering into a time of revival, not into a time of judgment, right? We want to see God's grace poured out again. We, we, you know, that, that's our hope. Um, we will wait and see how that goes. But Josiah was the last king that had revival. The next four kings uh, are going to cover roughly 23 years. Uh, Jeremiah's ministry is going to cover somewhere around 40. So, um, so he's going he's gonna to be a part of each of these four kings and each of these four kings is going to have this thing in common. They're going to reject the word of God. They're going to turn their back on what Jeremiah is delivering. They're going to harden their heart. And so I just want to give you an overview of these four kings. So moving forward, as we talk about each king out of order, you don't get more confused. So each king has more than one name. So that should be a little confusing. The born name a king had oftentimes would be changed when he became king. And that name would be changed depending on who made him king. If he becomes king part of the natural progression, he'll probably keep the name that he was given by his father who was king before him. But if he's raised up by, say, Pharaoh to take over, we're going to talk about that tonight, uh, Pharaoh's going to say, I own you, and the way he's going to show his ownership of that king, that that king is subservient to him, Pharaoh's going to rename him. So you're going to have these instances happen as we take a look at these kings. So the last four kings are Jehoahaz, uh, Eliakim, or Jehoiakim, we'll talk about him, uh, Jehoiakin, rhymes, but it's not the same, and Zedekiah. So last four kings before and Keep in mind, the exile is happening during all four. So there's a variety of times Babylon's going to conquer 
uh, Judah's going to rebel, Babylon's going to conquer, Judah's going to rebel. So similar events keep happening over and over again. If we learn anything from the study of history, we learn that man has a hard time learning from history. We have a tendency of committing the same mistakes. Remember Daniel's prophecy when he thought about the kingdoms of man, and, he, and he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue? made up of four different parts that alluded to the kingdoms of men. And one of the things that we realize in that dream of Nebuchadnezzar is that no kingdom stands. Gold went to silver, went to bronze, went to iron, went to iron mixed with clay, right? We have this, this constant change because the kingdoms of man always fall into corruption. Anybody notice any corruption in government lately? So all the kingdoms of man fall into corruption. Corruption leads to uh, rebellion or conquering by another nation, and the cycle begins again. But the word of God doesn't change. The word of God and the promise of God is the same to, to each and every one. You know, follow me. There, we're going to talk about tonight the idea of there's two ways to go, right? The path of life and the path of death. The path that leads to eternal life following Wisdom, right, following the decrees of the Lord, and then the rejection of that that leads to the path of death. And Scripture's going to declare for us again tonight that you get to choose. There's two roads. You get to pick the one you want to walk. But you don't get to complain about where it leads because he's telling you where the road goes, right? Okay, so this is where these things are going. So let's talk a little bit about these kings in the succession. So Josiah dies. You remember when Josiah died, it was at the peak of the of the revival, and Jeremiah sang at his funeral. So Jeremiah and Josiah were contemporaries. Jeremiah's father is probably linked to the guy who found the scroll of the scripture that led to the revival in Josiah's time. Jehoahaz is the first king that comes after Josiah. <clears throat> He's also called Shalom. The people anointed him king at the death of Josiah, and even though he was the fourth and youngest son, so he's not the oldest, uh, the people liked him, but Pharaoh Necho did not. Pharaoh Necho, you remember, that's how Josiah died. Josiah rode into battle. Pharaoh Necho said, I'm not fighting you. Just stay out of the battle. We're, you and me are okay. Don't come to fight. He came to fight, and Josiah died in that battle. The Lord told him, as well as Pharaoh Necho said, don't come. So Pharaoh Necho doesn't like Jehoahaz. He takes Jehoahaz as captive. He only serves as king for three months. And he's going to live out his days as a prisoner in Egypt. So it's not a lot of stuff going to happen under Jehoahaz. Um, he, is, he, he had the same rebellious attitude of the other kings, rebellious toward Egypt and rebellious toward Babylon, but he's ultimately going to die as a captive in Egypt. So when he goes, Nico replaces him. Pharaoh Nico puts the next king online. So Jehoahaz, the youngest son of Josiah, is the first king, rules for three months, gets put in prison in Egypt. That's the end of him. Nico replaces him with his brother, Eliakim. Eliakim, and he changes his name to Jehoiakim. He's the second of the four sons of Josiah. So he's not the, the firstborn, he's the secondborn. He is placed there and he, he 
raises an exorbitant tax from the people to keep Egypt happy. So as long as Egypt is the power, he's going to keep Egypt happy. So he taxes the people horrifically, keeps them happy. He's going to be king for 11 years. As soon as the power shifts from Egypt to Babylon, he's going to flip and he's going to try to appease Babylon. He's just trying to appease whoever is the power. No desire to appease the Lord, desire to appease the earthly powers that were around him that were doing the things that he was doing. Um, He is going to uh, be conquered. We're going to see in Jeremiah 36, he's going to burn the scroll of of Jeremiah, the prophecies of Jeremiah. He doesn't want to listen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is going to prophesy of him that he'll die like a dog. So during one of the sieges, uh, Jehoiakim dies. Nobody cares. There's no funeral. And uh, he just passes from the scene. Then the third king comes on. The third king, his name is Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim is the son of Jehoiakim. Not one of the kids of Josiah. He's the child of Jehoiakim, and he's going to rule for only three months. So here's, here's the puzzle. We have um, the first king that we, that we talked about tonight, Jehoiahaz, rules for three months, ends up in prison in Egypt. That's the end of him. Jehoiakim rules for 11 years, rebels against the Lord the entire time, Dies like a dog, nobody cares. Jehoiah, or Jeconiah, Jehoiakim, he takes over, he rules for three months. After Jehoiakim comes Zedekiah. Zedekiah rules for 11 years. So one of the ways that you can remember the last four kings is it's three months, 11 years, three months, 11 years. I don't know why, it just works out that way. So the first one Jehoiahaz, not, he doesn't really accomplish a lot. He ends up in prison. Uh, then Jehoiakim comes on the scene, rules 11 years. Jeconiah takes over and then surrenders to Nebuchadnezzar. He only rules for three months because Nebuchadnezzar says, yeah, you're not going to stay king. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to replace the third king. And Je- Jeconiah is going to spend the next 37 years in prison in Babylon. So the two kings that did three months reign, each basically live out their lives in prison in other nations, one in Egypt and the other in Babylon. Jeconiah is going to be, repla- or going to be let loose, and he's going to dine at the table of the king for a period of time, but he's not going to live much longer after that period. But he's never going to come back to Israel. So he's going to die in Babylon uh, as a prisoner. So... Nebuchadnezzar is going to set up his own puppet. His puppet king's name is Zedekiah. Zedekiah is another of the sons of of Josiah. So Zedekiah comes on the scene, and so you have three sons of Josiah who serve and one who is the son of Jehoiakim. So that's kind of how the last four go. So there's going to be prophecies. Today we're going to look at a prophecy against Zedekiah, which means all those other kings' reigns have already been accomplished now. We've moved forward in time, and we're at the place where the first time the nation has been conquered by um, Nebuchadnezzar has already happened. 
But the rebellion of the people, the message of Jeremiah, the rebellion of the people is going to continue and continue and continue all the way to the day that that Jeremiah dies. And Jeremiah is never going to leave them without the word of the Lord that calls them to repent and change and follow, get on the path of life. You don't have to be on the path of death. So Zedekiah, again, he's going to rule for 11 years. He's set up by Babylon. Babylon's going to be defeated by Egypt one time. And when Egypt defeats Babylon, Zedekiah decides, I don't have to listen to Babylon no more. So he tries to make a deal with Egypt, which makes Babylon a little irritated. They're already irritated that they lost a battle to Egypt. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to come back, and he is going, that's the time Nebuchadnezzar is going to utterly demolish Jerusalem. Right? Everything comes down. Temple comes down. Jerusalem's burned with fire. He's going to take Zedekiah, the king that Nebuchadnezzar placed on the throne. He's going to bring Zedekiah and his family out. And he's going to kill every one of Zedekiah's sons before his eyes. And then he's going to pop Zedekiah's eyes out. So the last thing he ever sees is his sons dying. These are the last four kings. In their rebellion against God and the decline of the nation. The nation has declined to such a point that everything they do is wrong. Everything they try to do ends up making things uh, worse and worse and worse. So that's kind of the background history. Now when we look at Jeremiah chapter, uh, Jeremiah chapter 21, this is after the deportation of 597. So this is uh, Jehoiakim is in prison, King 3. Zedekiah is taken over. Egypt has just won a battle. So Zedekiah is thinking, I don't have to listen anymore. Now Babylon's gotten angry, and they're on their way to Judah. And Zedekiah says, hey, Jeremiah, will you pray for us? Maybe God will deliver us. Okay, so this is the background to what's, what's happening at the time. At that exact same time, there's another prophet in Babylon. His name is Ezekiel. Have you guys ever heard of him? So Ezekiel the prophet is prophesying to the exiles who are in Babylon, Jeremiah the prophet is prophesying to the people in Judah that's going on at the same time, just in different places of the world. So Jeremiah is going to be, he's going to reach out to Jeremiah and he wants to ask Jeremiah for some help. So we got some of the background kind of laid out. Here's what's going on. This is, this next section, Jeremiah 21, 22, 23, is going to be the idea of judgment comes. Judgment comes. You've already had judgment twice. So judgment comes. But even in the midst of that, God is going to remind the people there are two paths you can take. So you you are guilty and you are going to be sent out of the land. Okay, if we look at the, if we want to look at it, um, God is the landlord of the the land and so these people haven't been paying their rent. Judah, Israel, they haven't paid their rent. They have not they have not given uh the the proper um had the proper attitude toward the landlord. He is evicting them. There's no way to stop the eviction. But there is a way to go in peace. There's two ways you can be evicted. One way means you're going to starve to death, you're going to eat your children, you're going to die by the sword. The other way is you're going to be fed, you're going to have a chance at a life, 
it just isn't going to be here. So these are the paths that the Lord is laying out for them. Look at Jeremiah 21.1. So this is a word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. When King Zedekiah, number four king, King Zedekiah sent to him Pashur, the son of Melchiah, and Zephaniah, the priest, the son of Messiah. And they said to him, now here's what we got going on. We got two messengers. This is not the same Pashur that was earlier. The, this is Pashur, son of uh, Melchiah. The one earlier was Pashur, son of Emer. Not, not the same dads, not the same guy, same bad attitude. You remember the earlier Pashur wanted to get rid of him? And this guy wants to get rid of him too. Uh, so this Pashur is the guy who is going to plead for his execution in chapter 38 when we get to Jeremiah 38. So you have Zephaniah, son of Maaseiah, the priest. Uh, this Zephaniah was also mentioned by Jeremiah. He's an officer as well as a priest, second only to the high priest. So he has a position of authority. We'll talk about him when we get to 29 and to 52. So these two guys come to Jeremiah. Now, nobody's been listening to Jeremiah all this time. But now Nebuchadnezzar's mad. He's coming. And Judah realizes, oh, Egypt's not going to help us. So we've already lost to them before. <laughs> and that guy is the one who put me in this throne. So I might be in trouble. So they, they reach out to Jeremiah, and they say in verse 2, Inquire of the Lord for us. For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is making war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful deeds and will make him to withdraw away from us. So basically they're coming to Jeremiah and they're saying, hey, Jeremiah, pray for us. Maybe God will, will deliver us. This consequence of my action, it, it doesn't have to come. Maybe you can persuade God. This is all the background to the guys. If you remember, they just beat him not that long ago. Remember chapter 20 was the chapter where Jeremiah wants to quit? And then Jeremiah continues his ministry. Now they're coming to him toward the end. And they're saying, hey, you could, maybe you could bail us out, Jeremiah. Maybe, maybe you got special in. The word of the Lord is coming to you. You can, you can speak up for us. So Jeremiah said to them, this is what you shall say to Zedekiah. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands, with which you are fighting against the king of Babylon and against the Chaldeans, who are besieging you outside the walls, and I will bring them together into the midst of this city. Hey, Jeremiah, will you pray? Maybe God will let us off the hook. No, the, the word of the Lord doesn't change. There's not a way that... that the book of Revelation is not going to take place. God told us the book of Revelation. He gave it to us so that we would understand prophetically the things that would be coming. That's, that's going to happen. Otherwise, God is a false prophet. That doesn't work that way. No, you have two choices, Zedekiah. You could have led the people in peace. You could have walked in obedience to God and stayed in the land. You could have 
the exiles had the first group of exiles, actually the second group of exiles have already gone. So <laughs> there doesn't have to be any more war. There doesn't have to be any more dying. There doesn't have to be any more of that stuff. But you want to make war and not do what God's asking. You want to think that you can continue to walk in sin and the wages of sin won't be death. But if you stay on that road, where does it land? That's where it goes. The, the Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. If he sows to the spirit, he will of the spirit reap eternal life. Two roads. We get to, we get to pick. We get to choose the one we're going to walk. And we can profess our ever, uh, everlasting obedience to God and still be choosing to walk the path of death, right? So we, it's, it, it's beyond what you say with your lips. It's about who are we committing ourselves to? Who are we giving ourselves to? So... Basically, he says to him, look, your weapons are never going to stop Babylon. Babylon wins. Babylon's going to utterly destroy everybody. And his point is, he's building this point. Look, Zedekiah is saying, look, our problem is Babylon. And Jeremiah is going to say, no, your problem's not Babylon. Your problem is something called the wrath of God. Now, when we talk about the wrath of God... We always have a bad view of the wrath of God. We think the wrath of God is like our wrath. God's wrath is not like mine. My wrath happens where I'm trying to be calm, trying to be calm, trying to be calm. Finally, somebody stepped on my last nerve, whatever, and now I blow up. That's the wrath of Jackie. That's not the wrath of God. The wrath of God is like this. This road leads to eternal life. This road leads to my wrath judgment right down there so if you follow this if you take this road you're walking into my judgment if you take this road you're walking into eternal life so it's not god's not god's not lost control and just this wrathful god he's not a wrathful god but if you take the path of wrath that's where you go that's where it ends we, we are supposed to repent, turn, right? Turn away from that path and walk toward the path of life. Jesus said, come and what? He didn't say, say you're going to follow me. What did he say? Come and follow me. Come and follow me. Did he give us a way to, to stay on that road when we mess up? Sure. When I mess up, does that mean I'm off the road forever? Nope. Does it mean I've lost my salvation? Nope. What does it mean? It means I confess my sin. I rely on his blood, the power of his spirit to continue the walk. And I get up. The righteous man falls seven times and rises again. And I continue to follow him. That's how that works. Or I take my own way, right? I am the the captain of my own fate. I am sailing my own ship. I'm going to make my own decisions, go my own way, and that path leads to wrath. You want to have a clear understanding of what wrath looks like, Revelation chapter 6 through 19. That's the wrath of God. So we look at it, this is what he's saying. Look, your problem's not Babylon. 
Babylon's a tool. Your problem is you're on the road that leads to the wrath of God. Look at verse 5. He says, I myself will fight against you with outstretched hand and strong arm in anger, fury, great wrath. And I will strike down the inhabitants of the city, both man and beast, and they will die of a great pestilence. Afterward, declares the Lord, I will give Zedekiah the king of Judah and his servants and the people of the city who survive the pestilence, the sword, and the famine into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon and into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their lives, and he will strike them down with the edge of the sword. He will not have pity or compassion. So we are down to the third time Nebuchadnezzar is conquered Jerusalem. It's already been conquered twice. He's already established his authority. God's already told the people through Jeremiah, this is my plan for you. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil, that you might have what? A future and a hope. This was God's, was the plan, the path of life, did it lead to their destruction by sword, pestilence, and famine? No. What did it lead to? Slavery. But life. The other, it led to the sword. Do you ever pay attention to the four horsemen of the apocalypse in Revelation? You have war, pestilence, famine, right? We have this group coming through. You have the first horseman, which is the false messiah, then war, pestilence, famine, death. That's what follows. That is description of what's going on in the wrath of God. And so what he's saying is, look, your problem is not with Babylon. Your problem is you are following the road all the way to the end. You are marching headlong into the wrath of God. And all along the last, you know, 40 years of their journey, there has been a man of God telling them to stop. Stop. Repent. Accept the, the judgment of God that you're, you have to move. You have to leave the land. Accept the judgment of God and live. Fight against the judgment of God and die. But who's making the choice? Two roads. This one goes to life. That one goes to death. So we want to be obedient to what God's word is laying out. We see in Isaiah 63, verse 10, it says, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and fought against them. It's describing what happens at the end of that road when we come to judgment. The power of God is displayed. God is not divided into pieces. God is mercy and grace, wrath and justice. He's all those things. And so the people are following the road that leads to the judgment of God and the justice of God and ultimately God's wrath. And the problem is they're being led there by a wicked king who won't listen to the prophet and has now sent men to the prophet to ask the prophet to somehow find a way to bail them out. And the way to bail out hasn't changed. Jeremiah told them in Jeremiah 14, verse 12, he said, Though they fast, 
I will not hear their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them. I will consume them by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. Wrath is already a preordained point. And if you walk the road to wrath, then wrath is where you find yourself. But nobody has to take that road. What did Paul write to the, to the Thessalonians? He said, for we are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the covering or protection from the wrath of God. The Bible tells in John chapter 3 that when Jesus came, he didn't come to condemn the world. Why? Because the world's already condemned. We're already guilty. We're already separated from God. We're already in a hopeless state. He is coming to provide that road, that path that we can follow, that we can take. Come, follow me. Take my yoke upon you. Right? Isn't that what he said? He said, my yoke is fitting. It's well fitting. It's not going to rub. It's not going to chafe you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come, learn from me. Come, follow me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Right? Come, follow me. Lady Wisdom in the Proverbs crying out to the people, don't go to the immoral woman. Don't go after the prostitute. That way leads to death. Follow Lady Wisdom. That path leads to life. The description laid out. So he's saying, look, the people suffer because the king is leading them this way. The people need a shepherd, and they don't like the shepherd they have because he's a weird old man that stands on a corner and tells the people, this is sinful. You need to turn around and go the other way. Was there a better way to describe the world that we're in right now? People want to flock to hear the message of the gospel or, or what the Bible calls sin and what the Bible says to do about sin? Don't tell me what I have to do. Who are you to judge me? I'm not judging you. I'm telling you there's two paths. One leads to wrath. One leads to life. Which one will you walk? What path will you take? So he says, the Lord is saying, you've been given over to Nebuchadnezzar. What's the impact on the people? Look at verse 8. And to the people you will say. So he, this is the message he gives. Jeremiah does this all the time. He gives a message to the king, and then he goes out to the, <laughs> to the byways and the place, wherever the marketplace, where the people are. And he tells them. He goes out to those places and he says to the people, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have set before you the way of life and the way of death. So you stay here. You're going to die. Is that a message of hate and judgment or is that a message of grace and mercy? When Peter said to Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? As many as seven times. You remember what the Lord said? I say 70 times seven. So 490 times, right? We're supposed to do it. 490 times, it actually alludes to this very time where God had forgiven the sin of the nation of Israel for 490 years. And now the judgment has come. He's saying, forgive, grace, mercy, there is always, there is 
always a way back. There is always, it's never, you've never crossed the, you never cross the, the opportunity, I guess, to at least turn. The Bible indicates that there are some sins people don't come back from, but that's because they chose that. Right? The Bible calls it the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and the church has argued for 2,000 years what that is. <laughs> some say it's a rejection of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? Others say it's attributing the acts of the sovereign acts of God to Satan. The point is there's a line somewhere. But as long as you're hearing this message, I have set before you life and death, you haven't crossed it yet. So here he says, call out to the people. I have set before you the way of life and the way of death. Listen, this is very clear. He who stays in the city will die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. But he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans, the one who leaves their home, Pack up your kids. Walk out the gates of Jerusalem and across to that enemy over there. The one who walks there shall live and have his life as a prize of war. So God is telling all the people, nobody has to die here. Nobody has to die. You are approaching the calendar date that says the day of the Lord, the wrath of God. And as you approach that date, he's saying there's still a way. There's still a way. Just leave the city. Don't listen to your leaders that say God loves Israel more than everybody else and he would never judge Israel. Do you know what the scripture says about judgment in the New Testament to the church? Where does judgment begin? In the house of God. <laughs> Judgment begins in the house of God. He's saying, look, the Lord is saying, leave the city, go out, and you, you, what do you hear? You have a choice. You can stay and die or go and live. That's, the, that's clear. Do people like the message? No. Are there things that I don't like? I wish the Bible would just give people pass. Give them a pass. Let them do what they want. I wish, I wish there was that way. I wish, I wish it could be like that. But it's not. But he says, if you do this, this will happen. If you do that, that will happen. So why would I turn my, my, my heart, my mind, my ears away from the clear teaching of the Word of God and reject what God has to say and not choose the path of life everybody gets the opportunity for the same choice Jesus described it to everyone the same way take up your cross how often daily and do what come and follow me pick up your cross come with me so there's going to be consequences verse 10 for I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good declares the Lord and it shall be given to the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire. God's not lying to him. That's exactly what's going to happen. God says, I've given the city to King Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to win. He's coming in here, and he's going to burn it all down. And you don't have to be here when that happens. You can walk out. Now, was walking out scary? Probably. What did all the people in the city call you when you tried to walk out? You're not a patriot. 
you're a coward. There will be a time where you're going to have to choose between your nation and your God. I already made that choice. And so they, they were going to have to walk out. They were going to have to hear the jeers of the people, just like Jeremiah heard them in chapter 20. Yes? But what did they get for their effort? Life. That was the path of life. It felt like you were losing something, a little bit like carrying a cross, but it led to life. All of these are lessons that they walk through that are given to us for our admonition so that we could understand the times where we find ourselves. There's a calling and there's a cost. And the one thing it's not about is our comfort. The call that God gives goes out. The city's been given over. So the Lord issues a challenge to the king. Look at it in verse 11. Now to the house of the king of Judah say this. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of David. Thus says the Lord. Execute justice in the morning. Deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. Lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it. Because of your evil deeds. King. You can stop all of this. But the king wanted to try to save his own life, his own neck. So he burned all the people. That never happens, right? The people in charge of government, they don't never burn all the little people, do they? I mean, come on. They would never do something where they'd open up Walmart and leave mom and pop shut, would they? Do you, do you think they ever went a moment without a paycheck? Without wondering where their next meal would come from? Do you think that they did that for the good of the people? The issue is given to the king. King, you can do what's right. What's he say? You can execute justice. You can turn this all around. Who did Nebuchadnezzar come for? The king. Why? Because he betrayed him. Was he guilty of betrayal? Yes. Was he set up by the king of Nebuchadnezzar? Yes. Could he have lived his life to the end of his days, following the path of life, been a good vassal of the king of Nebuchadnezzar? Could he have done that? Sure. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves a question. What really is your God? Is your, is your God... Constitution of the United States? Is your God your freedom? Is your God Yahweh? If God wants something, the God of the universe, if he wants something from you, can he have it? Or is there a sacred calf somewhere made of gold? You can have everything else but that sacred calf. I like to dance around my sacred calf and proclaim that that's really the one who saved me out of Egypt. So the call to the king, you can stop it all, but the king doesn't stop it all. And the people who stay in the city are all going to burn. Then he says in verse 13, listen to what he says, Behold, I am against you, O inhabitant of the valley, O rock of the plain, declares the Lord, you who say, 
Who can come against us? Who can enter into our habitations? I will punish you according to the fruit of your deeds, declares the Lord. I will kindle a fire in her forest, and it will devour all who is around her. So listen to what the Lord is saying. He's saying, look, you, your trust is in your own ability to deliver yourself. I did a, a video on, on my goofy YouTube channel about the I am. What does, what does the I am mean? And if you remember, the I am, the declaration of God being the I am comes in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. You remember when Moses says, well, when the people ask me, who shall I say has sent me, what, what, what shall I say? Who shall I say has sent me? And God says, tell them, I am has sent you. I am that I am. Now, if you put that in context, there was a battle going on in Egypt between Pharaoh who declared himself to be the I am, and Yahweh, who declared himself to be the I am. And Pharaoh's heart was strong, set against the Lord. God says in Exodus chapter 4, he's going to keep Pharaoh's heart focused that way so that we can see the result. Still today, man is declaring himself to be the end-all, beat-all. I am the self-existent one. I don't need no one else. There's only one who can make that claim. That's not us. Last I checked, we need a lot of things. We need companionship. We need to be able to gather together. We need the air that we breathe. We need the food that we eat. We need the water that we drink. We think we can supply all those things for ourselves, but we find out in history we can't always. But there is one who doesn't need anything else. He is everything. He has everything. He is the self-existent one. He is life. He is that ultimate accomplishment that all man wants to arrive at and man finds himself at war with him. Thus we see that all creation is at enmity with God. Man declaring to God, we need no God, we can save ourselves. And so God puts marks on the calendar. He puts points on the ends of roads. And he says, that's the wrath. And I've set before you two paths. One leads to life. One leads to wrath. He declares at the end of Jeremiah 21, everybody in this valley, I'm marking out this valley, this circle, the wrath of God's going to fall here. So if you don't want to be in the wrath of God, what did you have to do? Leave the valley. The lesson, I hope the lesson is clear. The lesson is you can't walk this path that leads to wrath and stay on that path that leads to wrath and expect that you are going to not come to wrath. The, the lesson is God, through Jesus Christ, has declared to all mankind to repent, change your direction. And live. 
Jesus said, I didn't come to bring condemnation. What did he say? I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And because we have such a hard time with not uh, being instantly gratified in our flesh, we don't understand the value of the life that's coming, do you? I've come to give you life that you might have life and life more abundantly. What do you think that life's going to look like when you look into his eyes? What do you think that prize, the prize, Jesus Christ, he's the prize. My mom's in heaven, but my mom, seeing my mom again is not the prize. The prize is Jesus Christ. The prize is not the people we are reunited with or the times that we can have together. That's that's a side benefit. The prize is Jesus Christ. And when you look into those eyes and the life that is there, they're not going to look back and say, none of this, all these things, all these decisions I had to make, all these things I didn't want to lay down because I didn't understand what's wrong with them. But God, you said these things lead to wrath. So, so I'm going to lay it down and I'm going to lay that down and I'm going to lay that down and I'm, I'm going to try to follow you. And when I fall, I'm going to confess my sin. You'll forgive me, give me the strength to get up and continue to follow you, right? Isn't that what the Christian life is? All the way till we arrive at life. Till we see life face to face. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Now we see in a glass dimly. Then we will see face to face. Now it's not exactly clear. But when we see him, it will be exactly clear. When I was coaching, we had a set of rules up on the wall. They're simple rules. I did the rules so that I didn't have to be mad when people broke them and lose self-control. So I would say, if you do A, B happens. So when something was broke, whatever our four rules were, and they'd come in and somebody had broke one of the rules, they didn't have to wonder what was going to happen. It was there. That's going to happen. I'm not mad. I told you ahead of time, right? If you do A, B happens. Isn't that what God's given us in his word? If you walk this path, this is where it goes. But it's not too late. It's not too late to lift your eyes. Paul said, I have not already attained, and I'm not already perfected. What did he say? I do one thing. What did he tell us to do? I put my eyes on the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus, and I keep moving forward. You know, kind of the mantra kind of got wore out, but a Christian isn't perfect. He is forgiven. He confesses his failure, receives the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ, is made a just man, made perfect through the blood of Jesus. He rises again and continues to go on, trusting in God's ability to save, not mine, and paying attention to the street signs he gives me along the way. Turn here, Jackie. Turn there. Hey, that's not okay. You should let that you should let that go. Oh, I really like it, God. Yeah, it's okay. It's not good for you. If you if you keep grasping for that, you're gonna get off the road. You get what I'm saying? And you're gonna find yourself under judgment. Our prayer for our nation. 
is that the people of God are going to humble themselves and pray, repent of their wicked ways, call upon the name of the Lord, and he will grant unto us a Josiah-like revival that gives us time. Because the wrath of God is a scary place for those who don't believe. For those who do, what does the word declare? Look, you if your faith is in Jesus Christ, he bore the wrath of God already. You don't have to. You are not appointed unto wrath. People always worry about, are we in the tribulation? What's going to happen? No, you ain't in the tribulation. It ain't that bad yet. Murder hornets might be close. I don't know. <clears throat> we'll see what comes after them. But the point of the tribulation, the Bible, as the Bible lays out the tribulation, the tribulation period, guys, is the period of the wrath of God poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. And you are not appointed to wrath. The path of life does not lead to wrath. It leads to Jesus Christ. Amen? Why don't you stand with us? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can gather. Thank you for the opportunity to study and to look at the yet more kings rejecting the word of God, calling them to repent and to turn. And I, I got to say, God, I want to thank you that, that we have, uh, at least our current king has surrounded himself with men of the word who are in prayer and looking for your leading and guiding. And so, Lord, I just pray, God, that we would find uh, the opportunity to be revived again. Not because we earn it or because we deserve it, but because we, your people, cry out for mercy. And you are a good, merciful Father. <clears throat> and you will grant mercy. May we be obedient to turn from our sin, from our compromise, from our stuff, and just put our eyes on the prize and go after Jesus. May we stay on that path of life. Thank you for the promise of your word that declares we are not appointed to wrath. The wrath of God will not ever fall on the church. That doesn't mean we won't have COVID-19. That doesn't mean we won't have murder hornets. That means that that's not the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and is covering the church. The church never has to worry about the wrath of God. We need simply put our eyes on Christ and follow him. Two roads. May we be careful of the road we walk and ensure that the road we're on lines up with the face of with the faith we proclaim. You can't follow Christ on the path of death. He's not on that path. You can follow him on the path of life. God, be glorified and magnified as we lift our eyes to you, as we follow you, as we take our cross daily. May we learn the lessons of those who have gone before us. May we be willing, like those people then, who were offered the path of life, to do the things that are hard to do, to follow you, to take up our cross, to take the path of life, to bring glory to you, Lord. We look 
As we look forward, God, we pray that you would guide and lead your church as we study your word to see those things that you're clearly calling us to. And may you be glorified in and through it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.